Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And my name is Mitch Bryan, and today we'll be looking at Minute 13, which begins with Parker hating to bring up something about the bonuses and uh, ends with a countdown. Uh, our guest, Todd Norris, cinematographer, filmmaker, teacher, all-around great guy, is here with us. Thanks for coming back again today, Todd. Thank you. I'd love it. to be here. And uh, let's get into the argument. So we're right into an argument. Uh, this minute begins with, like uh, like we said, Parker just hates to, uh, hate to bring something up, but... Um, he wants to get paid if they're going to go down and investigate. Yeah, it's, it's still about, the, you know, with him, it's about the money, that's for sure. And Brett, too. And Brett and him are a team. So give us a little money, yeah, we'll, we'll be willing to do this, but, you know. And then we start to get a little bit more... I think we're starting to see a little bit more of the dynamic of the crew that's developing further um, here. So um, how does how does Kane react? Well, I just noticed this. I've never in the million times I watched this movie, I've never noticed Kane is offended by Parker and Brett's uh, uh, unwillingness to, to do this. He he, it's what we're supposed to do. Why don't you want to do this? That seems to be the look on his face, and I think it's really interesting. It's kind of a callback again to what we were talking about last week about uh, Kane's a man of duty. He's a he's a you know, go getter. And to him, it's a foregone conclusion. We're being asked to do this. It's our duty to do this. How could you be complaining or even talking about money right now? Um, and Ash, this is the first time Ash has really uh, asserted himself in a scene, right? I mean, up to this point, he he told Dallas that Mother was calling, but right. he actually steps up and quotes regulations. He seems to be the company man. Uh, he's very much. And he, he is, well, I think we're going to see mo pretty much everybody's sick of the bitching about the bonuses at this point i think that you can see the look on his face they start talking about money he's like oh enough of this and he cuts it off he asks if he can say something and he quotes contract verbatim and i find this really suspicious and, and this is part of the uh, clues to uh, clues to ash i i don't understand how people don't but you find this suspicious now because you know but oh, todd sure, when sure. you first saw this did that seem to be an irregular thing no, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, I was in fifth grade, but also I think you know <laughs> right, well, we're still we're still taking it. the movie in. You sure. know, we're still you know early in the first act, and so I don't think that we're really. Uh, although to this movie's credit, these are all clues that once you've seen sure. the movie, you start to realize that they're building they're building these things in right from the start. Right, that's what I mean. I I certainly did, don't expect someone on first viewing to go. That guy just. Quoted a contract. He must be a robot. No, I'm not saying. I'm saying that it is. The, these are clues, but it's. Boy, he just has every word of this like one clause of, a, of their contract too. I don't know if that is. I guess it's in everyone's contract. Well, but, if we read it as a character point, it, it yeah. clearly suggests he's he is the science officer, isn't he? That's true. We're getting he he, he wants he wants to find and, something. Well, that's true too. And then I keep my mind goes to Star, Star Trek probably more often than most people's, but. Again, Spock would do this, wouldn't he? Like, Spock would have this all right on the tip of his tongue, too, wouldn't he? And we're talking about tropes, the science fiction tropes that we're aware of in 1979. That's one of them. What do we think of in a science, with a science officer in 1979? It's going to be Spock. So this is uh, reminiscent of that to me. And then, you know, Data later in later incarnation of Star Trek, of course, he would be like mm -hmm. this. But that's another, that's another tie-in, I guess, another way that they're connected but um, Dallas manages to shut this down pretty clearly yes he's finally had it and I once think. again I think that you know he asserts himself as the kind of captain that that I don't know that I'd want I'd want to be serving under you know yeah. he seems to be in control and he puts these guys in their place and they back off yeah yeah they do they know who's boss when it comes down to it 
I think in terms of cinematography, it's difficult to divorce sometimes cinematography from directing, from everything. But uh, one of the things that occurred to me is that in the previous minute, we talked about uh, Parker brushing off his seat, you know, telling Ash to, hey, that happens to be my seat. So we've set up a conflict between the two. And in that previous minute, Ash lost, right? He gave in, uh, gave up his seat. But that all leads to this moment where uh, Ash gets to have the last word, no money. But in terms of the blocking of the shot, he's lost his seat, but now he's behind him in that, and he gets that nice close-up where he's a low angle, basically behind Parker. Um, just So just in terms of a blocking level, he gets to be in a superior position by yeah. suddenly standing up, and I just thought that was kind of a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, and we end up with Parker. So Yafet Koto's performance here, He's in a, in a subjugated position. He he's even leans over even when he loses. Mm -hmm. He bends all the way over in defeat on the table, if you want to interpret it that way. And he's like, well, I mean, he's got one Achilles heel. If you can take the money away from him, he's going to lose. So that's what happened, and he's beaten, and it's, okay, I guess we're going down. I do think that these, uh, I'm not going to say that they're petty power games, but the yeah. power games that get played throughout the movie are really interesting. Yeah. And it's, I saw an interview with Jerry Goldsmith, and he said that he didn't like he didn't he didn't much care for any of the characters in the movie. He didn't wow. care about any of them. He thought they were awful people. Yeah. And um, you know, I would not go so far. But what I would say is that these are these are very human characters yeah. w with you know with their own strengths and weaknesses. And it's one of the things that I really I really love about it. I think I don't remember David Thompson or somebody wrote some article about. The people being, you know, expendable and yeah. knowing they're expendable right from the get-go, and I, I, I don't believe that. I, not, I was always really engaged by all of these characters. Yeah, it was David Thompson, and I, I just don't buy into that either. I think, I think he had a thesis he was trying to support by continually bringing this up, but um, I don't buy into it either. I, I care about these characters, and in the context they're in, we're in a, a again, we're, we're, this is business, this is work, and we're seeing. I don't think we're seeing petty power plays. I think we're seeing administrative strategy. I think that Ash is, he knows how to talk. He knows how to get these guys to fall into line. And he's more willing to go there maybe than Dallas. Dallas does get a little emotional here. We talked about in the last minute. Yeah. He's a pretty steadfast and, you know, uh, he's a stand-up guy and, and he's cool under pressure. But I think he finally, right here, he gets sick of the bonus talk. And Ash then comes in. I've got hard data. I've got something that you can't deny. Uh, fall in line guys and he so he comes in sort of as a as a managerial you know with him in a managerial position and picks up where dallas didn't and, quite and sticks follow a, through sticks a pin in it oh, yeah. by saying no money no money at the very end <laughs> i think you're right though in that you know these references to star trek and that in 1979 with the exception of star wars star trek was the only real science fiction frame of reference that most people had, especially in terms of, you know, a bridge and a crew on a in an interstellar voyage. And it does seem like it was a conscious effort on this part to be sort of the anti-Star Trek. Not only are these blue-collar workers, but it's not this idyllic Gene Roddenberry world where everybody gets along. It's there's you're right, there's petty conflicts mm -hmm. and people are they're they want money and this and that. And and that was a refreshing difference too. And it did feel so much more human. And I think that's one of the reasons why the movie feels so much more scary because we relate to all these people. They're not, they're not Mr. Spock and Scotty and right. Kirk. Parker you, just wants to go party, man. That's what. <laughs> and you know, Scotty was the same way, but he only did it when he was on leave. He's, you know, <laughs> when he was in the engineering room, it's the, the love of his life was that warp engine. You know, 
But uh, well, that's yeah. a good segue to the ship. The next, the next shot. Yeah. This really spectacular shot, looking from below right. uh, as the ship passes over, and in the distance, a planet and uh, and stars. Yeah. Todd, do you want to say something about the lighting on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that I think is distinctive about the look of the of the visual effects shots of Alien, and there there are relatively few of them. You know, most of the movie plays out in the interiors. It's an old dark house movie on a spaceship, but the uh, the special effects shots that there are have a very um, high contrast look, meaning that there's not a lot of fill light. You either get the inky blackness of space or a very bright edge like the shot that we see. The, the shape of the bottom of the ship is very revealed in this chiaroscuro kind of way, and the planets in the, at the, in the bottom of the frame... Uh, the sun, I guess, is in such a position that you just see this sort of fingernail of a of a planet, and that look probably came from two thousand one, which had a very similar kind of uh, contrasty look. And Star Wars obliterated all that and had this very overlit, and it's fine for the kind of space fantasy that it is. But the Millennium Falcon and the Star Destroyers in that movie are always. You know, there's a key light that's lighting the ship, but then the shadow side is always very well lit too, and the planets are always seen in such a way to where th- there's more light than there is dark. And Alien returned to what was, in a way, is probably a more realistic look uh, to outer space. I-, I think the apotheosis of that idea would be 2010, which came out in '84 where uh, the special effects, it was Richard Edlund who did that, decided they were going to have no fill light at all. And so you would either see, uh, you know, the ship, the the side of the ship that was lit was lit, but the other side was pitch black and totally dark. I am now going to go watch 2010 because I have not seen that movie in so long. That, that that will give me something to look for. Peter Hyams, the director, was definitely influenced by Alien because Outland came out right after oh, yeah, this. Right. And the production design and the smoking of the set and the way that the interiors of the ships in 2010 were lit are straight out of Alien. I mean, that's Alien just redefined the look of science fiction till today. I mean, or any video game that you play. I mean, it looks, the ships look like Alien. Right. Yeah. John, do you have anything else? I don't think so. I think that's going to do it for minute number 13. Uh, tune in tomorrow for minute number 14. We're at alienminute.com or at alienminutepod if you want to check us out on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs>